So back when Jody and I were dating, uh, we were taking a drive down to Santa Barbara, and we had intended to stop off in Santa Cruz. And during the drive, uh, I became sort of quiet and reserved and didn't have much to say. And Jody was trying to process. She later let me know what was going on. And as we had started the drive, she had spilled a drink in my car. And so for a big part of the drive, she thought that I was upset because she had spilled the drink in the car. And, and as the drive went on and on and the hours ticked away, she started thinking, man, I know he likes his car, but this is really intense, you know? <laughs> I mean, it was just a drink and we cleaned it up, right? So that's what's going on in the passenger seat. In the driver's seat, uh, that something completely different was happening. Um, I had made the decision uh, in the last week or so to ask Jody to marry me. <laughs> and that was going to happen in Santa Cruz as we stopped off on our way down to Santa Barbara. So I was processing with great sobriety this moment that was about to take place where I was going to ask her to marry me. And hopefully she would say yes. We hadn't talked about it at all. Hopefully she would say yes. And, and we were going to end up spending our life together. And so I'm thinking about the future and, you know, getting married and having a home and, and maybe having kids someday and, and, and what we would do with our careers and all of this life. And so I was very quiet as I soberly processed what was happening. Now, uh, we got there, and um, I did ask her to marry me. I asked her, uh, actually, on the, on the Giant Dipper roller coaster, just as we were about to go down the other side. And she screamed yes, which was kind of my ploy, was to trick her uh, into saying yes uh, as she was going down the roller coaster. Um, well, why am I telling this story? Because the, the, the story illustrates um, how differently two people can be processing the same moment and what's happening in that moment, right? The story illustrates how differently two people can be processing the same moment and what's happening there. Now, this happens not only in those kind of really important moments, but, but all the time, right, in your relationships. You're thinking one thing, and the other person is thinking something completely different. Uh, and unless you actually communicate about it, then, you know, sometimes you can kind of go off in this direction where you're moving further and further apart because your understanding of the moment is so completely different. So one of the things that we want to do in this season uh, it, with, with our, our five-year plan, which we're calling Church Unleashed, one of the things that we wanted to do is, is help all of us do a better job with the stewarding the relationships that we have. Relationships are hard, right? Communication is, is difficult. And all kinds of um, challenges um, cause us to miss each other and miscommunicate. And, and sometimes there's, there's harm and there's, there's fracturing of, of relationship. And one of the things that we're hoping to do in this next season is do a better job of seeing how the gospel shapes the way that we relate one to another. And in fact, what we're going to do uh, in the coming season, and, and especially here in the beginning of 2020, Pastor Dante is working on this, a new Gospel Academy course 
uh, called Community. And we're going to take this, and, and he's already building it, but we're going to kind of try it out and maybe he's in some of our home groups and refine it and get it better and better so that, so that for people who come to be a part of this church, one of the things that they get right off the bat from the very beginning is some teaching on how the gospel informs our relationships so that when we're in our home groups and we're relating together, we have the tools and the, and the skills and, and, and the know-how to be able to love one another well. Or when we're in our homes, or, or even when we take it out into the workplace and in our neighborhoods, we know how to love one another well. And so um, in this month, we're going to walk through um, kind of like a teaser, some of the things that are helpful in relating well to others. And today, the first one we're going to look at has to do with the story that I told you about Jody and I, and that is getting at the truth. Um, Allowing truth to shape the way that we relate one to another. And what I'd like to do is kind of speak and, and dive a little bit into the way that truth shapes our relationship with God. How, how God uh, relates to us in truth, um, which actually is a, is a massive topic as I started to, to think about it. Um, so we're going to try and focus it down a little bit. And then out of that to think about how truth can shape our relationships and the way that we interrelate one to another. So the first thing I'm going to invite you to do is open up to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, Psalm 139. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. love for you to be able to follow along in the Scripture that um, we would love to hand to you. And it's going to be on page 300, I believe, in, in that Bible that we hand out, page and what I want to do is uh, make a couple of statements today. Um, the first one is that, that God truly knows you. God truly knows you. Uh, and then out of that, what I want to say is that we are called then to, to seek to truly know one another. Okay? But God truly knows you. This is the starting point. This is sort of the foundation of relationships, the relationship with God serves to teach us and instruct us. So here in Psalm 139, we have a beautiful statement. God knows the created you is how I want to say this. Um, look with me in verse 1, and this is, this, this is David, King David, um, in some moment where he's, he's realizing the extent to which God understands uniquely who he is. And this is then true for, for all of us. Uh, and he writes these beautiful words. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, oh, Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We'll stop there. And what I want to say to you simply from this text is that God knows you. He knows the created you. He knows everything about you. He knows your physical body. He knows your emotional state. He knows your personality. He knows your preferences. He knows the things that you love and that have that special meaning to you. He knows everything about you. God knows you. In fact, his knowledge of you exceeds your own knowledge of yourself. He knows you greater than you know yourself. And there's something really special about being known, right? There's some deep longing inside of every single one of us that cries out to be known. In fact, it motivates a lot of what we do in life. When, when we post something on social media, we, we want people to know us. This is what I like. This is what I do. And when people respond to that, it feels good. Of course, that can become twisted and, 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 and unhealthy. But at root, at the core of it, is a, a human longing to be known. Some of us work really hard at the things that we do and, and we get good grades or we succeed in our workplace. Why? Because we want to be known by others. We want people to, to know us. One, one of the greatest movies, they say, Citizen Kane, you know, what was, what was the story at the core of this movie was this man who could never satisfy being well-known enough. And in a sense, that was his his rosebud, they, that's that where that, that term comes from, that movie, is this, this, this continual search to be known more and more uh, because there's something in us that longs desperately to be known. And the amazing thing about the, the gospel, the good news of the Bible, of, of Jesus Christ, of the story of God, is, is, is this Psalm 139, that God knows you. God already knows you. He knows you in and out. And that answers one of the, the deepest longings that you have. And he's the only one who can answer it. He's the only one who can know you in the way that you long to be known. But it goes even beyond that. He, only, he not only knows your created self, he, he knows your lived in, I'm say it this way, your lived in self. Because you were born and you started to live and you, you got you know, sort of battered a little bit and you, you, you started doing some things that you shouldn't do and you hurt some people and you hurt yourself and you offended God 
And that's what happens when after we're created and we, we come onto the earth and we start to live. We get lived in, right? And, and that comes with sin. Every human being who's ever lived has sinned, done things that God never intended them to do. Um, and so you end up being sort of tattered and broken and used. You know, I have an old car that I drive around. And if the car had feelings, it would wonder if, if I still liked it, you know, because it's kind of battered and got some scrapes and, and, and stuff on it. And, and, and maybe I don't, I don't clean it as much as I used to, right? Because, because um, it's just kind of lived in. And, and we wonder sometimes as we think about our lives, and maybe especially as we get older, and we see all the things that we've done and the ways that we've failed and the things that we've missed and the opportunities that we've missed, the ways we've hurt people and the ways we didn't even realize we were hurting people until after they already got really hurt and then we later circled back to realize what we did. And, and we're just all lived in and broken and tattered. And we wonder, does God know that about me? Does God know all those things about me too? And if he does, what does he think about me? There's a beautiful story about this in the Gospel of John. And if you would turn to John chapter 4, we can take a quick brief look at it. Um, Jesus is in an area um, uh, where there are people who are sort of like half-breed Jews and not Jews. And so there's some tension that's of a racial nature there, and, and there's some conflict and and the, the people in this area, Samaria, are looked down upon by the, 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 the pure Jewish people. And, and in the, this context, Jesus has a, a conversation with a woman at the well. And he does something remarkable. This text is rich and full, and we don't have time to expound all of it today. But he does something remarkable. He asks her for a drink, and, and she provides uh, a drink for him. And then he starts talking about he, he, he's actually the living water. Um, which when you, when, you, when you actually get a drink of it, you, you don't thirst anymore. Um, and then he says this to her in verse 16. He, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. It's like, let's, let's give this living water to some more people. And, and the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you know, now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And, and it's one of these moments where she is suddenly known, right, in her brokenness. Because she's had five husbands, and now she has a man that's not her husband. And you can imagine what it would have been like for her to live that dynamic day in and day out, to know that in some way, according to the standards of society, she was deficient. Okay, And she lived in that day in and day out. And she probably didn't want to be known in that. And Jesus comes and he knows her in her very brokenness and sin. And he says to her, I'm the living water for you. I know you in all of your brokenness and sin and I am still offering myself. Can you imagine the affirmation for this woman in that moment? And can you can you then start to take on board in your own life this message that Jesus is saying, not only to her, but to you, which is, I know you in all of your brokenness, in all the ways that you have harmed others, in all the ways that 
that uh, I know you truly as you are, okay? There's truth in our relationship, God says, through Jesus Christ. I know you. And to be known in that way and to be accepted, that's sort of the next level, right? It's wonderful to be known. It's, it's even more incredible to be known in all of your, your brokenness and sin and yet to be accepted, right? And that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, God comes to us in the person of Jesus. He knows us. And then he pursues us anyway. So that she says at the very end, when she goes back to, to her village to tell people, she says, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. <laughs> Can this be the Christ? This man who told her all she ever did, nonetheless accepted her. The truth was out, okay? And the fact that the truth was out made the potential for their relationship all the more beautiful. Because she could be known fully in the very darkest parts of who she was. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it sets the tone for how we relate one to another. And it's interesting to note that in order for this acceptance to take place, Jesus had to do something remarkable, which we've already been talking about it this morning, which was to go to the cross and offer himself an atoning sacrifice for sin. So this is built on all of the Old Testament um, symbols uh, around um, the sacrifice of the lamb. And so Jesus steps right into that whole history as the perfect lamb who's never sinned, and he offers himself a, a, a sacrifice to atone for sin. So, so the separating dynamic of sin, which keeps us apart from God, could be addressed and healed in the work of Jesus Christ as he hung on that cross and took into himself the consequence of our sin so that we could have a relationship with God. Now, what's interesting about that is right in the middle of it, well, at the very end, like the sort of pinnacle of the moment, there's all the physical pain and everything, but the, what happens at that, that, the very moment, the pinnacle, the, the climax of Jesus on the cross, he cries out. You remember what he says? What does he say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? So we're talking about being known and being accepted. And where Jesus had to go in order for that to happen was to the opposite place. Because to be forsaken is to be known and to be abandoned. And that's our greatest fear. That's true death. To be known and to be abandoned is the worst, deepest kind of death. That's, I mean, physical death is just a, a physical expression of that, which is much greater. And Jesus went there to that place of separation and forsakenness so that we could inhabit the place of relationship with God, being known in all of our sinfulness, in all of our uniqueness, and being accepted. That's the beautiful story of the gospel, and that sets the tone for all of our relationships. And it strikes at what's really at the very core of who we are as human beings. 
the very core of who we are as human beings. I love what Tim Keller said on this subject. He said, to be loved but known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. That's what I'm saying. That's how God loves us. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So God knows you truly. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God knows you truly and accepts you in that. So then let's take that and think about our relationships. Because the next thing we want to say is um, that we want to seek to truly know others. Um, Just in the way that God has dealt with us, um, it's our privilege and our honor to be able to relate to others in the same way. Now, we have to be careful with this because we'll never be able to replace God in somebody's life. You say it this way. We can't be God to each other, but we can mirror him. Okay? This is such, I'm st- I feel like I'm still learning this. And it's so interesting that, you know, now um, after that day when Jody and I drove to Santa Cruz and got engaged on that roller coaster, it's been 25 years. And so you would think, oh gosh, they know each other now, you know, 25 years fully, right? And I'm still, I still marvel at how much can be happening in my life that Jody, we've been together 25 years, see each other every day, talk, that Jody doesn't know or really deeply have access to. I mean, isn't that interesting? And I'm sure some of you have been married a lot longer than us could attest to the same thing. Well, why is that? Well, it's simple. Because our brains are going 24-7 and processing, and thinking about life. And there's no way that somebody else could understand all of that. It's like, it's like the kid whose parents videotape everything they do, but then there's never enough time to watch it. How could you ever watch it? You'd be like reliving the entire childhood. There's not time for that. You can't. So there are just some real limitations about what we can do for and with each other in life. You just can't know everything. But what you can do is this. You can mirror the way in which God relates to us, to one another. And when you do that, you become like little harbinger, a little sign pointing to God. Only God's going to fulfill that deepest longing and that, that need. But we can be a signpost one to another to point each other towards that. Now, I think that there uh, this is like an area that's rife for uh, destruction. And, and, you know, we believe that there, there is an enemy in the world, a spiritual realm. Um, the Bible talks about this enemy as Satan and the devil. Um, and in the spiritual realm, all kinds of things are happening that we don't see. And the enemy likes to wreak havoc in our relationships and cause us not to know each other truly. That's part of the work of the enemy. And you see this right at the very beginning in the relationship that, that Adam and Eve have 
when the serpent comes in. And what does the serpent do? The serpent starts to question their relationship with God. Did God say? So it's interjecting deception that leads to the breakdown of the relationship between Adam and Eve with God. And that's the same dynamic in our lives as well. It's the interjecting of deception. That's why truth becomes our friend in the process of having healthy relationships together. Truth is what we need, but, but our own sinfulness and the work of the enemy keeps us from having that truth or, or tries to interject falsehoods into our relationships. And so um, falsehood enters in. And, I, and I, I, we have a little bit of time just to walk through a couple of you know, This is just suggestive. And um, those of you who've been in sort of counseling circumstances, and I believe that Pastor Dante talked about this um, a little bit last week, um, but those of you will recognize some of these terms. And, and I want to just say, um, over the coming weeks, we're going to go through a, a bunch of these, I hope, and, and help us to think through what is it that gets our relationships kind of sideways, and how can we, in mirroring the way God relates to us, you know, bring greater health in those relationships. So the first one I'm bringing up is assuming. Um, that's when, in a relationship, you don't know something, but you suppose something without having the proof. So uh, in the case of Jody and I driving down to Santa Cruz, she's just she's doesn't know why I'm behaving the way I am, and she's thinking, well, maybe it's because I spilled the drink on his car, right? And and so then you know this is what we do. We start to we start to assume. Um, this happened with uh, Pastor Dante and with me. Uh, not so long. Ago. I didn't have a chance to ask you if I could share this illustration. I was in France. So. So how scared are you right now, actually, in this moment? Here's what I'm going to do. This is the deal I'm going to make with you. You can tell a story about me without asking my permission, okay? So, <laughs> this is revengeful. Pre preaching and revenge. You can do it. <laughs> you already got your story. Good, good. So, come back next week <laughs> or whenever it is. So, oh, you know what I'm going to say? You know what I'm saying? Okay. It's good. You, oh, that's great. See, but you're assuming. What <laughs> so Pastor Dante uh, just, it was tragic when he lost his, his grandmother recently and had to go back to Atlanta. And um, is this what you thought I was going to say? Yeah, <laughs> you knew. Um, and he had to go back to Atlanta and um, it was a whirlwind trip. And he's got so much family back there and just so much emotion and everything. And, and I'm texting him while he's gone a couple of times. I text him once, hey, praying for you. You know, let me know if you're pray for, you know, and didn't hear anything back. And then, um, and then uh, wait a little while, text again, you know, and pray everything. And then didn't hear anything back. And then what happens in those kind of moments, right? Your mind starts to go, did I say something before he left? And we're always in the middle of like lots of craziness and, you know, trying to navigate and, you know, and so this is like a million things. And so my brain starts to go, right? And so, uh, and I'm trying not to go there, um, but I'm wondering and I'm thinking, what, I'm reevaluating everything that I've done, you know, uh, and, and like what is, right? And then you start to latch on one for a little while. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. And, and then, you know, no, I can't. And, then, and then finally he gets back. And so we get in the room and I say, hey, I texted you a couple times. You know, I, I just really was hoping you were okay. I was worried about you, you know. Didn't hear back from you. You know, did I do something to, no, no, I was really busy and just emotional and it was hard and I just didn't know what to say. And, uh, and then he said this, he said, you know, in fact, I didn't even text so-and-so. And this is a person I know who's 
closest childhood friend since the beginning, uh, and you didn't even text him. And so immediately, all of that assumption, all of that angst, all that anxiety just goes washing out. Why? Because I have the truth. Because the truth has entered in, right? Now, sometimes the truth is hard. Like he could have said, yeah, you know that thing you did? (laughs) I was really mad. But still, that's the truth, and then we can deal with that. That's better, right, than not having and all the things. And imagine in relationships, sometimes we spin out for months at a time on assumptions that we haven't checked. We're not even relating to the real person who exists. We're relating to a person we've imagined. Next one is um, mind reading. Now, this is a lot of these overlap, and they're kind of the same thing. But mind reading, I, I, I think of it when I see that phrase. It's, it's the assumption thing, but with a kind of additional confidence. Like, I'm reading your mind, and I know I'm right. So I'm not even going to bother checking or asking or having any questions, because I know, I know what I'm doing. So, because I'm really good at this, I'm intuitive, I'm an ENFP, you know. Uh, and so uh, you know so I'm good at this Uh, and so I'm just going to call this one out and I can call it out because it's me too there's often a lot of pride under this one and if we would approach with a measure of humility um, it would help us greatly to know the actual truth. This is what I found. I am a very intuitive kind of person. That's, I would fall on that side. And I'm still, it's still remarkable to me when I actually ask what's happening. A lot of times I'll be close, but there'll be some nuance that's slightly off, right? That I didn't quite capture. And it's always a delight to figure out what that is. Oh, yeah, that's a piece of the puzzle. But if I don't pursue truth, then I'm going to operate on the basis of this flawed perception that I have embraced, okay? So mind reading. The next one is filtering negatively. This is when you focus only on the worst. So whenever there's a relational dynamic that's difficult, your tendency would be to go to the negative side and and assume that the worst thing has happened. Again, it's a type of assumption that can happen in our relationships. And we're going to talk about this again when we talk about hope because um, approaching relationships with hope, that's going to, so the, today is truth. We're also going to talk about hope, and this one's going to come back into that and kind of our framework for how we look at the world. And so I'm not going to get into that right now, but some of us come at the world with a glasses half empty kind of mindset. And when we do that in relationships, um, we can make assumptions or we can miss, um, we can miss what, what really is. This, this is the, to me, this is what, because I, I have a, ten, I, I do all these, okay? So if you feel bad, I'm with you. Um, I do all these. And, and here's, here's what really gets me with the, the negative filtering. The things that I see that are negative might be true, but it's not true that they're the only part, of, that, that that's all there is to the story, okay? I'm living in falsehood when I only isolate the negatives and don't give allowance for the positive aspects. I'm living in falsehood, and I don't want to do that, okay? So what helps me with this one is really to understand that, um, that the reality is often not the case, 
that there's only negative things happening, okay? And then uh, the, the next one is generalizing. And this is sort of embracing a global pattern of negative, saying that it always happens this way, right? Um, and, and oftentimes we will get, we will, in relationships, we'll take one instance or two, like whenever Dante goes to Atlanta, he doesn't text me. It's, you know, like we'll take one instance and, or two and we'll, and we'll use that to globalize, you know, the whole relationship. And that's not fair. And it's not true. And it doesn't allow for change to enter in and to take place. I think about this with respect to the Ten Commandments. And God tells us to relate to him in a way that, that doesn't kind of trespass this boundary. He says, don't make any idols of me. I'm not static, right? When God defines himself, he says, I am. And what that tells us is there's this dynamism to God. You know, he's moving in the world. You can't put him in a box. You can't pin him down, right? And, and in our relationships, we mirror that, and we give people freedom when, when we acknowledge the truth that, yeah, we might have some tendencies, but it's not always this way. And it doesn't always have to be this way. We don't, so this is part of the problem that we have when, you know, we talk about personality types, which I, I talked about a little bit, uh, and the different ones. They can be helpful, and yet they can be harmful in the sense that they, they, they create these generalizations that end up being untrue in this case or this case or this case. So, falsehoods enter in. Now, how does God teach us to sort of shatter the negative influence of the lack of truth in our relationships? And for that, I want to take us to the very beginning of the scripture. We're just going to end with this. I love this passage in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have just eaten of the forbidden fruit. And what's going to happen next? And here's what happens next. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, do you think God didn't know where Adam was? Pretty sure he knew where Adam was. There's something about the dynamic of relationship that beckons us to lead with questions. That's what it means to come to know somebody else, is to ask questions, to lead with questions. So many of the falsehoods that ensnare our relationships and cause the problems, the assumptions, you know, the negative, the generalizing, so many of these, and there's so many more, so many of them would be fixed if we simply would ask a question. What did you mean by what you said? You're, you're being like God in that moment. You're saying, where are you? Where are you? What did you mean 
when you did this? Where are you? What is the truth of who you are in this moment? Because I want to know it. Because I want to know you. (laughs) And then with the power of Christ behind me, I want to accept you. And if I need to forgive you, to love you. That's the power. To love you as you really are, even in how you have harmed me. That's the power of truth in our relationships. And Lord, would you help us to live it? As we leave this place this morning and we go home and we have relationship in our households or as we go out to lunch and we've got these beautiful image bearers that you've put us together with in this church community and some things are hard in our relationships. God, we want to know what it is that really makes each other tick and what it is in our brokenness that needs to be accepted and affirmed and called out. So would you help us in our relationships to be seekers of truth? And we want to put the onus to be the proactive person, seeking to be like you, God, to be like like Jesus in so many of his relationships where he asked questions, he led out with questions. Do you want to be healed? And for the Samaritan woman, he, he, he allowed her space to tell who she was. God, that's what we want to be towards one another. So help us in this time.